Chapter 26, verse 36 through 44 of Catina Aria, Commentary on the Four Gospels, collected out of the works of the Fathers by St. Thomas Aquinas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Verse 36 through 38. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. Rigmigius. The evangelist had said a little above, that when they had sung an hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, to point out the part of the mount to which they took their way. He now adds, Then came Jesus with them to a garden called Gethsemane. Rabanus. Luke says, To the Mount of Olives, and John went forth over the brook Kidron, where was a garden, which is the same as this Gethsemane, and is a place where he prayed at the foot of Mount Olivet, where is a garden, and a church now built. Jerome. Gethsemane is interpreted the rich valley, and there he bade his disciples sit a little while and wait his return, whilst he prayed alone for all. Origin, for it was not fitting that he should be seized in the place where he had sat and eaten the Passover with his disciples. Also, he must first pray and choose a place pure for prayer, Chrysostom. He says, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder, because the disciples adhered inseparably to Christ, but it was his practice to pray apart from them, therein teaching us to study quiet and retirement for our prayers, Damascenianus. But seeing that prayer is the sending up the understanding to God, or the asking of God things fitting, how did the Lord pray? For his understanding needed not to be lifted up to God, having been once united hypostatically to God the Word. Neither could he need to ask of God things fitting. For the one Christ is both God and man. But giving in himself a pattern to us, he taught us to ask of God, and to lift up our minds to him, as he took on him our passions, that by triumphing over them himself, he might give us also the victory over them. So now he prays to open to us the way to that lifting up to God, to fulfill for us all righteousness, to reconcile his Father to us, to pay honor to him as the first cause, and to show that he is not against God. Rabanus, when the Lord prayed in the mountain, he taught us to make supplication for heavenly things. When he prays in the garden, he teaches us to study humility in our prayer. And beautifully, as he draws near his passion, does he pray in the valley of fatness, showing that through the valley of humility and the richness of charity, he took upon him death for our sakes. The practical instruction which we may learn from this is that we should not suffer our heart to dry up from the richness of charity. Rigmigius. He had accepted the disciples' faith and devotedness of their will, but he foresaw that they would be troubled and scattered abroad, and therefore bade them sit still in their places, for to sit belongs to one at ease, but they would be grievously troubled that they should have denied him. In what fashion he went forward it describes. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, 
he began to be sorrowful and very heavy, the same to whom he had shown his glory in the mount. Hilary, these words, he began to be sorrowful and very heavy, are interpreted by heretics that fear of death assailed the Son of God, being, as they allege, neither begotten from eternity nor existing in the Father's infinite substance, but produced out of nothing by him who created all things, and that hence he was liable to anguish of grief and fear of death, and he who can fear death can also die, and he who can die, though he shall exist after death, yet is not eternal through him, who begot him in past time. Had these faith to receive the Gospels, they would know that the Word was the beginning God, and from the beginning with God, and that the eternity of him who begets and him who is begotten is one and the same. But if the assumption of flesh infected with its natural infirmity the virtue of that incorruptible substance, so that it became subject to pain and shrinking from death, it would also become thereby liable to corruption. And thus its immortality being changed into fear, that which is in it is capable of at some time ceasing to be. But God ever is without measure of time, and such as he is, he continues to be eternally. Nothing then in God can die, nor can God have any fear springing out of himself. Jerome. But we say that passable man was so taken by God the Son, that his deity remained impassable. Indeed, the Son of God suffered, not by imputation, but actually, all that Scripture testifies, in respect of that part of him which could suffer, viz., in respect of the substance that he had taken on him. Hilary, I suppose that there are some who offer here no other cause of his fear than his passion and death. I ask those who think thus, whether it stands with reason that he should have feared to die, who banished from the apostles all fear of death, and exhorted them to the glory of martyrdom. How can we suppose him to have felt pain and grief in the sacrament of death, who rewards with life those who die for him? And what pangs of death could he fear, who came to death of the free choice of his own power? And if his passion was to do him honor, how could the fear of his passion make him sorrowful? Did. Since then we read that the Lord was sorrowful, let us discover the causes of his agony. He had forewarned them all that they would be offended, and Peter that he would thrice deny his Lord. And taking him and James and John, he began to be sorrowful. Therefore he was not sorrowful till he took them. But all his fear began after he had taken them, so that his agony was not for himself, but for them whom he had taken. Jerome. The Lord therefore sorrowed not from fear of suffering, for for this cause he had come that he should suffer, and had rebuked Peter for his fearfulness. But for the wretched Judas, for the offense of the rest of the apostles, for the rejection and reparation of the Jewish nation, and the overthrow of unhappy Jerusalem. Damasus. Or otherwise, all things which have yet been brought into existence by their Maker have a natural desire of existence, and naturally shun non-existence. The word of God, then, having been made man, had this desire, through which he desired food, drink, and sleep, 
by which life is supported, and naturally use them, and contrawise, shun the things that are destructive of life. Hence in the season of his passion, which he endured voluntarily, he had the natural fear and sorrow for death. For there is a natural fear, wherewith the soul shrinks from separation from the body, by reason of that close sympathy implanted from the first by the maker of all things. Jerome. Our Lord therefore sorrowed to prove the reality of the man which he had taken upon him. But that passion might bear no sway in his mind, he began to be sorrowful by propassion. For it is one thing to be sorrowful, and another to be very sorrowful. Rigmigius. By this place are overthrown the Manichaeans, who said that he took an unreal body, and those also who said that he had not a real soul, but his divinity in place of a soul. Augustine. We have the narratives of the evangelists, by which we know that Christ was both born of the Blessed Virgin Mary, was seized by the Jews, scourged, crucified, put to death, and buried in a tomb, all which cannot be supposed to have taken place without a body. And not even the maddest will say that these things are to be understood figuratively, when they are told by men who wrote what they remember to have happened. These then are witnesses that he had a body, as those affections, which cannot be without mind, prove him to have had a mind, and which we read in the accounts of the same evangelists, that Jesus wondered, was angry, was sorrowful. Id. Since then these things are related in the evangelists, they are not surely false. But as when he willed to become man, so likewise when he willed, he took into his human soul these passions for the sake of adding assurance to the dispensation. We indeed have these passions by reason of the weakness of our human nature. Not so the Lord Jesus, whose weakness was of power. Damasius. Wherefore, the passions of our nature were in Christ, both by nature and beyond nature. By nature, because he left his flesh to suffer the things incidental to it. Beyond nature, because these natural emotions did not in him precede the will. For in Christ nothing befell by compulsion, but all was voluntary. With his will he hungered, with his will he feared, or was sorrowful. Here his sorrow is declared. Then saith he unto them, My soul is sorrowful, even unto death. Ambrose. He is sorrowful, yet not himself, but his soul, not his wisdom, not his divine substance, but his soul. For he took upon him my soul and my body. Jerome. He is sorrowful, not because of death, but unto death, until he has set the apostles free by his passion. Let those who imagine Jesus to have taken an irrational soul say how it is that he is thus sorrowful, and knows the season of his sorrow. For though the brute animals have sorrow, yet they know neither the causes of it, nor the time for which they must endure. Origin. Or otherwise, my soul is sorrowful even unto death, as much as to say, sorrow is begun in me, but not to endure forever, but only till the hour of death, that when I shall die for sin, I shall die also to all sorrow, whose beginnings only are in me. Tarry ye here and watch with me, as much as to say, the rest I bade sit yonder as weak, removing them from the struggle. But you I have brought hither, 
as being stronger, that ye may toil with me in watching and prayer. But abide you here, that every man may stay in his own rank and station, since all grace, however great, has its superior. Jerome. Or the sleep which he would have them forego is not bodily rest, for which at this critical time there was no room, but mental torpor, the sleep of unbelief. Verses 39 through 44. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time, and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them, and went away again, and prayed a third time, saying the same words. Origen. He took with him the self-confident Peter and the others, that they might see him falling on his face and praying, and might learn not to think great things, but little things of themselves, and not to be hasty in promising, but careful in prayer. And therefore he went forward a little, not to go far from them, but that he might be near them in his prayer. Also he who had said above, Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, now commendably humbling himself, falls on his face. But he shows his devotion in his prayer, and as beloved and well-pleasing to his father, he adds, Not as I will, but as thou wilt, teaching us that we should pray, not that our own will, but that God's will should be done. And as he began to have fear and sorrow, he prays accordingly that the cup of his passion may pass from him, yet not as he wills, but as his father wills. Wills, that is, not according to his divine and impassable substance, but according to his human and weak nature. For in taking upon him the nature of human flesh, he fulfilled all the properties thereof that it might be seen that he had flesh not in appearance only, but in reality. The unbeliever, indeed, must, in the first instance, be loth to incur pain, seeing it leads to death, and he is a man of flesh. But if it be God's will, he acquiesces, because he is a believer. For as we ought not to be too confident, that we may not seem to make a boast of our own strength, so neither ought we to be distrustful least we should seem to charge God our helper with weakness. It is to be observed that Mark and Luke write the same, but John does not introduce this prayer of Jesus, that this cup may pass from him, because the first three are rather occupied about him according to his human nature, John according to his divine. Otherwise, Jesus makes this petition because he sees what the Jews will suffer for requiring his death. Jerome once he says emphatically, this cup, that is, of this people of the Jews, who, if they shall put me to death, can have no excuse for their ignorance, seeing they have the law and the prophets who speak of me. Origen. Then again, considering the benefit that would accrue to the whole world from his passion, he says, but not as I will, but as thou wilt, i.e., if it be possible for all these benefits which shall result from my passion to be procured without it, 
let it pass from me, and both the world be saved, and the Jews not be condemned in putting me to death. But if the salvation of many cannot be procured without the destruction of a few, saving thy justice, let it not pass away. Scripture in many places speaks of passion as a cup that is drained, and it is drained by him who, in testimony, suffers whatever is inflicted upon him. He sheds it, on the contrary, who denies in order to avoid suffering. Augustine, that none might think that he limited his father's power, he said not, if thou canst do it, but if it may be, or if it be possible, as much as to say, if thou wilt, for whatever God wills can be done, as Luke expresses more plainly, for he says not, if it be possible, but if thou wilt. Hilary, otherwise he says not, let this cup pass away from me, for that would be the speech of one who feared it. But he prays that it may pass not so as that he should be passed over, but that when it has passed from him, it may go to another. His whole fear, then, is for those who were to suffer, and therefore he prays for those who were to suffer after him, saying, Let this cup pass from me, i.e., as it is drunk by me, so let it be drunk by these, without mistrust, without sense of pain, without fear of death. He says, If it be possible, because flesh and blood shrink from these things, and it is hard for human bodies not to sink beneath their infliction, that he says, Not as I will, but as thou wilt. He would fain indeed that they should not suffer, lest their faith should fail in their sufferings. If indeed we might attain to the glory of our joint inheritance with him, without the hardship of sharing in his passion. He says, Not as I will, but as thou wilt. Because it is the Father's will that strength to drink of the cup should pass from him to them, that the devil might be vanquished, not so much by Christ as by his disciples also. Augustine. Christ thus, as man, shows a certain private human will, in which he who is our head figures both his own will and ours when he says, Let it pass from me. For this was his human will, choosing something as a part for himself. But because, as man, he would be righteous and guide himself by God's will, he adds, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. As much as to say, Man, behold thyself in me, that thou canst will somewhat a part of thyself. And though God's will is other, this is permitted to human frailty. Leo, this speech of the head is the health of the whole body. This saying is instruction to the faithful, animates the confessor, crowns the martyr. For who could vanquish the hatred of the world, or the whirlwind of temptations, or the terrors of the persecutors, if Christ did not in all and for all say to the Father, Thy will be done. Let all the sons of the church then utter this prayer, that when the pressure of some mighty temptation lies upon them, they may embrace endurance of the suffering, disregarding its terrors. Origin. And though Jesus went a little forward, they could not watch one hour in his absence. Let us therefore pray that Jesus may never depart even a little from us. Chrysostom. He finds them sleeping, both because it was a late hour of the night, and their eyes were heavy with sorrow. Hilary. 
when he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping, he rebukes Peter. Could ye not watch one hour with me? He addresses Peter rather than the rest, because he had most loudly boasted that he would not be offended. Chrysostom. But as they had all said the same, he charges them all with weakness. They had chosen to die with Christ, and yet could not even watch with him. Origen. Finding them thus sleeping, he rouses them with a word to hearken, and commands them to watch, watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. That first we should watch, and so watching pray. He watches who does good works, and is careful that he does not run into any dark doctrine, for so the prayer of the watchful is heard. Jerome. It is impossible that the human mind should not be tempted. Therefore he says not watch and pray, that ye be not tempted, but that ye enter not into temptation, that is, that temptation vanquish you not. Hilary. And why he thus encouraged them to pray, that they might not enter into temptation, he adds, For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This he says not of himself, but addresses them. Jerome. This is against those rash persons who think that whatever they believe, they can perform. The more confident we are of our zeal, the more mistrustful should we be of the frailty of the flesh. Origin. Here it should be inquired whether, as all men's flesh is weak, so all men's spirit is willing, or whether only that of the saints, and whether an unbeliever's the spirit is not also dull, as the flesh is weak. In another sense, the flesh of those only is weak whose spirit is willing, and who with their willing spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh. These then he would have watch and pray that they should not enter into temptation. For the more spiritual any one may be, the more careful should he be that his goodness should not suffer a great fall. Rigmigius. Otherwise, in these words, he shows that he took real flesh of the virgin and had a real soul saying that his spirit is willing to suffer, but his flesh weak in fearing the pain of passion. Origin. There were, I conclude, two ways in which this cup of passion might pass from the Lord. If he should drink it, it would pass away from him, and afterwards from the whole race of mankind also. If he should not drink it, it would perhaps pass from him, but from men it would not pass. He would fain, therefore, that it should so pass from him, as that he should not at all taste its bitterness, yet only if it were possible, saving the righteousness of God. If it were not possible, he was rather willing to drink it, that so it might pass from him, and from the whole race of mankind, rather than against his father's will, shunning the drinking thereof. Chrysostom. That he prays for this a second and a third time, comes of the feelings belonging to human frailty, through which also he feared death, thus giving assurance that he was truly made man. For in Scripture, when anything is repeated a second and third time, that is the greatest proof of its truth and reality. As, for example, when Joseph says to Pharaoh, And for that thou sawest it twice, it is proof of the thing being established by God. Jerome or otherwise he prays a second time that if Nineveh or the Gentile world cannot be saved unless the gourd, i.e. the Jews, be withered, 
his father's will may be done, which is not contrary to the son's will, who himself speaks by the prophet, I am content to do thy will, O God. Hilary. Otherwise he bear in his own body all the infirmities of us his disciples who should suffer, and nail to his cross all wherein we are distressed. And therefore that cup cannot pass from him unless he drink it, because we cannot suffer except by his passion. Jerome. Christ singly prays for all, as he singly suffers for all. Their eyes were heavy, i.e., an oppression and stupefaction came on as their denial drew near. Origin. And I suppose that the eyes of their body were not so much affected as the eyes of their mind, because the Spirit was not yet given them. Wherefore he does not rebuke them, but goes again and prays, teaching us that we should not faint, but persevere in prayer, until we obtain what we have begun to ask. Jerome. He prayed the third time, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word might be established. Rabanus, Or the Lord prayed thrice to teach us to pray for pardon of sins past, defense against present evil, and provision against future perils, and that we should address every prayer to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that our spirit, soul, and body should be kept in safety. Augustine. Nor is that an absurd interpretation which makes our Lord pray thrice because of the threefold temptation of his passion. To the temptation of curiosity is opposed the fear of death. For as the one is a yearning for the knowledge of things, so the other is the fear of losing such knowledge. To the desire of honor or applause is opposed the dread of disgrace and insults. To the desire of pleasure is opposed the fear of pain. Rigmigius. Or he prays thrice for the apostles, and for Peter in particular, who was to deny him thrice. End of chapter 26, verse 36 through 44.